you know, it's always difficult for nonprofits to, to sort of, especially in an area like Richmond, where we have a lot to figure mm -hmm. out a way to um, make a splash, you know, and to get some attention. And so, uh, you know, I think that exposure for us, I think, is going to help us with all the other aspects of our missions. It will help us, you know, gain new board members, gain new volunteers, gain new donors, gain new just supporters and ambassadors and believers in what we do. Um, and that sort of butterfly effect, you know, that can then really, uh, you know, impact an entire community. Welcome to Fundraising Events. During each episode, we will chat with an influencer in the event industry who's been instrumental in helping nonprofits raise more funds. Our goal is to share helpful tips, tricks, and stories that will empower you to raise more with your future events. Now a little bit about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up, your fundraising event technology experts. Next time you have a fundraising event, try Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up. Whether it's a run, walk, ride, golf tournament, gala, or fundraising campaign, raise more, save time easily with the Give Sign Up, Run Sign Up purpose-built supporter engagement platform. Get started for free today at givesignup.org. I'm Brian Jenkins, and I'm joined today by Janine Panzera. Welcome to Fundraising Events, Janine. Thanks so much, Brian. Great to be here. Yeah. So Janine and I know each other pretty well. Um, so full disclosure, I'm on the board of CASA, so I'm a little biased. So I'll probably ask leading questions and make sure that everything uh, sounds as good as possible. But I do think there's a great story to tell here. And that's why I asked Janine um, to talk about this, because I've been part of uh, you know previous fundraising events, and uh, they seemed way harder than everything that kind of came together with Home for Good. And that's that's kind of the story that I hope to be able to talk about is we both feel like we've cre uh, there, there's a creation of a signature event. And so that's what we want to talk about today. So Janine, maybe you could tell us a little bit about you and a little bit about CASA. Sure. So my name is Janine Panzera. I am the executive director of the Court Appointed Special Advocates chapter in Henrico County, Virginia, so just outside of the Richmond area. Um, I have been in this role for just shy of two years, but have been involved with CASA for many years before as the program director. My background is in law, so um, I come to this from an interesting perspective, but what we do at CASA is we advocate for children who are before the Juvenile and Domestic Relations Court due to abuse and neglect. So it's a really nice blend for advocacy and law um, for children who really really need our help and our assistance. And we utilize uh, community volunteers who are those actual advocates for the children. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, previous fundraisers um, that have been put on. We have, well, we've been around for about 26 years. So we're pretty well established in Henrico County and the greater Richmond area. Um, and of course, some of that comes with slowly building uh, momentum and building different events. And so we were pretty well known, and Brian, you know this, and we were part of this. Uh, we had an annual superhero run that we did with our sister chapter in Chesterfield County. Um, so that, that CASA program, that was a joint event. Uh, it was a 5K run or walk, and it was a great day for families to come out and celebrate. Kids and, and the families would wear superhero costumes, um, and it was just to celebrate the idea of, of healthy families and just coming out to support that. Um, that was a venture that lasted for about a decade, and we uh, kind of hung that up uh, about a year and a half ago. Yeah, and then there was the, I went to a silent auction one time. There was also some, uh, the Let's Roll campaign, which kind of was different um, ball-focused uh, events. 
Um, and so, so all of them, um, it, from my perspective now, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Just didn't quite nail um, all of our points that we wanted to to put together. Right. So let's move to um, home for good. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, you know, what the event is and just kind of lay the groundwork of, of what someone would expect when you uh, find out about Home for Good. So we were really excited about this opportunity, and I, and I will go ahead and give credit where credit is due to the CASA program in Dallas, um, where we were able to work with them a little bit to understand what they've done and the great success that they've had uh, with their fundraiser that we were looking to leverage here in the greater Richmond area. Um, but the Home for Good event is a children's playhouse event um, that the playhouses are built and donated generously by local builders. Um, and then those playhouses are on display uh, for us. We used our beautiful local mall, Shortcomb Town Center to have them on display and individuals would have an opportunity to support our cause with just a $5 donation. But that $5 donation would give folks an opportunity to actually win one of these luxury, amazing one of a kind playhouses. Um, and it just has been really, really fun. And it fits really well into our mission of wanting children to be in safe, loving, stable homes. And that playhouse is that perfect image of happy and healthy childhoods. Yeah, and we're going to include a link to um, some of the images for the playhouses because I don't think words do not come like they're just not yeah. good enough to explain how cool these playhouses were. Yeah, this is not a little tight type of playhouse. This is a big playhouse. <laughs> I, I would call these um, potentially tiny homes. I, I think that that's a fair comparison for sure. <laughs> so let's let's dig into um, Home for Good a little bit. And uh, so when you talk to Dallas Casa, what kind of framework did they give you of like, hey, this this is where to go? Because obviously it's different in Dallas and it's going to be in Richmond. Definitely. And so what, what learnings did you kind of take from them? So I probably had two to three conversations with their event chair for this um, event. Theirs is called the Parade of Playhouses. That's a play off of their Parade of Homes. Um, and, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. So I, you know, I think there was a benefit of uh, having some expertise there and longevity in an event that had become very successful for them over the last 15 or so years. So I, my initial conversations were in some ways fact-finding. Just tell me more about this event and how has it worked and um, what have you taken away? What's been really positive? What are the complexities and what's really difficult about it? Because I think I needed to understand just what were the, the groundwork and framework that would be required to even launch something like this. And also wanting it to be very successful for a first inaugural year, because I think if you're attempting to do something new and exciting for an entire city or locality, it has to be executed well. So I was really initially wanting to understand what worked, what didn't work, what have they learned over the years? Um, and I just tried to think about that for our locality here as to what do I think would work here in the greater Richmond area. Um, I can talk about some of the specifics too that they really, uh, you know, again, partnerships are wonderful things with a strong network. Um, they were able to give us some actual guidelines that they used with their builders they shared some of the ways that they were able to reach out to builders and, and get them on board 
um, to build. Uh, they shared some of the specific specifications of the complexities and how they actually move the playhouses in and out and the logistics of those pieces. Um, so those were the things that in some ways, having that to sort of uh, go from and, and use to replicate here significantly helped us uh, think through that process and not have to start from scratch and, and reinvent a wheel that obviously has already been successful. One of the things that I, you know, being involved with an event that I think is interesting um, is, you know, the lead time. So like, when did you start the investigation to actually starting to, you know, put pieces of foundation down to start the, the process of uh, putting this together? So for us, I think the most important component, because it's, it's not only a fundraising event, but it's also an awareness event, which I think mm -hmm. we'll probably talk about a little bit in terms of how excited we are with that dual success. But what was so important to us then for both of those efforts was gonna be location because we knew that we weren't gonna get exposure, we weren't gonna get awareness, and we certainly weren't gonna then raise funds if we weren't someplace where these playhouses could be seen. So the Dallas program had effectively partnered with their local mall, an indoor mall, um, over the years. And that, of course, got us thinking, well, gosh, you know, what about our amazing mall here that's in our county? Um, and it's an outdoor mall where people go. And especially during COVID, mm -hmm. uh, the mall was still open and that would allow folks to continue to go and be socially distanced, um, but see these playhouses. So from, from our perspective, in some ways, that most important first step was securing the right venue and securing the right partner in that. Um, and that took some time. That's probably what took the most time and the most effort to determine, you know, how to, how to reach um, the right, you know, folks at the mall. And really, it's not just at the local level. Most malls are um, owned and operated, uh, you know, with larger property um, investment groups. And so we had to do some sort of digging and, and uh, working our way through some of that. But once we made contact and once we really sat down and shared our mission and who we were um, and just the idea, it was actually very helpful for us to come to the table with some of those logistics that we had customized to us here. But having that from um, the program in Dallas that we could use, I think, gave us a lot of leverage to have conversations that we've thought about this and we know how that you know how this would work um, and so from that point on once we we got the okay from the mall we started moving and so we basically executed um, in essentially five to six months from the approval of the mall to have these to finding the builders to getting the houses delivered on display and then off to the winners. So um, we moved quickly, uh, but I think that that was a good thing for first year. Um, and now we've got a lot to continue, you know, moving on and, and building on that momentum for yeah. several years. So let's talk a little bit, um, maybe let's flush out the venue a little bit. So it's an, it's an outdoor mall, mm -hmm. um, but maybe we could talk a little bit about um, the foot traffic and like the location where we were able to put the playhouses. Mm -hmm. um, I think those were all like really critical points of success. They were. So as I mentioned, just we needed we needed a space and a venue that was going to have a lot of visibility. And so when we started digging and really thinking about, well, would our local malls, just like the Dallas program had success, be a potential option? 
um, I think you're right, considering, well, what does mall traffic look like for us here? Um, you know, what what will that get us? What will that um, that what will that show? Do we think enough people are still visiting? And so we were able to get the figures from the mall um, and they do a lot of different studies of just tracking you know, people and traffic to the mall. And it's pretty amazing, but up to 40,000 people per week were visiting the mall. And what we were seeing is that those numbers were actually growing um, sort of after we came out a little bit of that initial shutdown um, from COVID. But then once people really wanted to start to get out and be you know, safe and socially and physically distanced, um, an outdoor mall was actually a very attractive venue for folks to go mm -hmm. um, just to enjoy being outside, maybe do a little bit of shopping, um, but still feeling like they're going to a destination um, in, a, in a safe way. So let's talk about finding the builders. So how did you um, actually secure the builders? This was probably another big aspect because if we didn't have the right builders uh, on board, then you know, it probably wasn't going to work well. And we, and our goal was three um, and maybe that was a lofty goal, but we thought, you know, instead of just starting with one, if we could get three and sort of make it already look like this is amazing. We have three local builders who have um, believe in our mission and believe that, that, you know, we can support children in our community and, and that this is a great way to do that. Um, that that was going to just have us have a good for initial impression, I should say, uh, to the community and to the folks that we ultimately marketed to. Um, so this was really a joint effort with, gosh, kind of all of our contacts, just because we didn't have a ton of time, like I said, from when the mall officially agreed to when we needed to execute and have the the houses built and delivered to the mall. Um, so we were just calling every contact that we knew. So this was board members, this was friends of our organization, um, just making contact. And again, I think it was beneficial that we were prepared on our side to when they said, tell us more, we could send them builder guidelines. We could send them you know, a nice packet of information so that it looked very professional and it also looked like we had really considered and thought about um, all the different logistics and complexity of the build, the materials, the weight, the size of the houses, how they would get moved and transferred on the front end as well as on the tail end. So I think just being prepared from that perspective really helped. Um, I will say that you know during COVID, it is certainly known that lumber prices have skyrocketed. Yeah. That, Builders have been slammed because people are reinvesting in their homes. Um, and so uh, we had a lot of interest, but just a lot of builders who said not this year, but next year um, with a little bit more lead time. So we're really excited to expand that and grow on that. But we're so thankful to our three builders who you know made it happen for us this year. And as you said, I'm so glad that you're going to share some pictures because the houses are pretty amazing. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about um, marketing and, and PR, which has always been a challenge when we've done other events. Um, and it's not to say that it wasn't this time, um, but it sure felt like there was more interest um, from the community, different you know, channels that we had access to where they were like, yeah, let's talk about this. Whereas in the past, it was like, well, if we get time or we have availability, um, so how did that kind of come together and, and what did you notice that was different and why did they kind of like, how did that, I guess, let's walk through how 
did they come, why did they come back to you and say, yes, you know, I want to put you on the show or yes, I want to make an article about you. It's a great question. And, and I, and I've thought about that specifically just as we, you know, are doing some debriefing and, and reflecting now uh, that we've finished our event recently. Um, I think there's a couple of things here. I think, first of all, the playhouses are amazing. The fact that local builders, you know, built and donated the time. And I've said that, but it's, these houses are worth between, you know, six and $10,000 if someone were to actually um, try to purchase one. So that's significant. And I think it was eye-catching as a result. And I think it just made our media friends, you know, curious and, and just thought that this was a, a really adorable way. I also think um, our messaging was a little bit different. You know, I mentioned that uh, we we deal with some really difficult things on a day-to-day -day basis. We're dealing with children in our community who have experienced abuse and neglect. And sometimes it's just not the nicest thing to talk about or even for our community to hear, but to change it just a little bit and just to slightly pivot the conversation to we're part of the solution. And we're also part of the, the belief and the prevention of abuse and neglect. And also that children do belong in safe stable and loving homes and and turning it just a little bit so we say yes you know there is still abuse and neglect that occurs in our community but but just sort of shifting the way that we talked about casa that we talked about our event i mean the home for good tagline couldn't be more perfect um, and so i think it's just that it all came together really really nicely um, but i think that just from a marketing perspective and just a public relations perspective it was the local community coming together to support children, but to also have these images um, and actual tangible houses. And I think it was, you know, because it was also open to the community and approachable to the community at $5 for a donation for a chance to win. Um, I think it just was a really intriguing new event that our city has never seen before. Yeah, I, I, my takeaway too is the, the uniqueness of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I think it, 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 there is some value to recognizing that, um, doing a new idea has risks and that maybe nobody likes it right? Um, or, or maybe you're onto something. And the fact that we were, we knew from Dallas that they had successfully done this mm -hmm. made it less risky, even though it was risky because we were, um, kind of laying down a 10 year fundraiser, um, exactly. and, and saying we're going all in on a new one right i agree um but i and i you know i, I said i've got to give you know some credit where credit's due when it comes to just at least having some of those basic conversations of the logistics and um being able to to think about that uh tweak it as we need it here internally work with our mall um on any specifications that they had but at least i had something to go off of to give you know to give us an idea that it's possible and that it's doable. And not only that, but it's you know been wildly successful for the program in Dallas and has just made a huge, tremendous impact um, for the kids that they've served. And again, just getting that local community to rally around a really good cause, um, I think was just all, just it all came together really, really nicely. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the logistics. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts here. And I think probably the most difficult part of the logistics is these are heavy playhouses, 
Yeah. Um, it's not that big a deal to get them into the mall. I mean, it's a, it's a pain, but it's not that big a deal in relation to now you have winners. Um, how are you going to get the playhouses um, right. to the winners? I, right. That's the logistical challenge that um, I know was stressing you out. <laughs> and uh, yeah. luckily we had some board members that had some, some, some resources, but let's maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. So the way that that we worked on the logistics and thought about it is that, you know, our builders were working really, really hard leading up to the day that the playhouses were to be delivered to the mall. Um, I should also mention that the other amazing aspect is that the mall agreed to display the houses for 17 days. And that was significant to us. And it also covered three full weekends. And so I think, again, that exposure that length of time um, to really allow us to hit as many, many people as we can. And of course, you know, we were certainly hoping that 40,000 people would be walking through the mall every week, but having that extended period of time, um, again, just awareness and exposure was a really great thing. Um, but in terms of the, the logistics, you know, the builders have been, you know, and were working really, really hard, donated the time and the materials to get the houses built. We asked them to deliver them to the mall. Um, and after that, their sort of responsibility was done. Um, mm -hmm. We felt like that was enough and that that was enough of an amazing endeavor that they did to support us. Um, and so we uh, rented and had a, um, a forklift, a small forklift available at the mall to be able to offload and then move the houses into their um, placement at the mall. And then the builders were done. I mean, they got some great pictures of the houses, um, yep. but that was essentially the end of, of their uh, responsibility. So as you mentioned, um, I think the fun of it was what do we do once we have these winners um, of our three houses and how do, we, how do we get them to the winners in a way that, um, you know, we don't want to ruin any lawns, we don't want to ruin any, uh, you know, hardscaping. Um, and also just how do we, make sure though that it's a seamless uh, transition as possible. So it's not an uncomfortable relationship, you know, for someone who wins one of these playhouses. So from a logistics standpoint, we had a similar uh, scenario where we had a forklift to remove the houses back. We had some board members who were able to generously work with some companies to get in-kind donations on the flatbeds and the trailers to actually deliver the houses. And then we just worked with the with the winners, um, who I was really glad uh, responded very quickly to my call <laughs> that I that they won. Um, but that really allowed us to work with them to determine what is your you know what does the space look like where is it going you know this is what we will agree to do um, and here's what we're not able to do and so the the small print was that. You had to be within 30 miles of the mall for us to actually deliver the house. Otherwise, um, it was then going to have to be on them to do the move just because we couldn't have uh, our drivers driving all over the state um, to deliver right. the houses. So we had to have some parameters on that. So um, one of the other um, interesting things is that um, we got really great response from sponsors. Yeah. Um, and so maybe let's talk a little bit about that um, in that, you know, the sponsors uh, came through in a really big way. Um, and, and it's not that they haven't in the past. It's just, you know, I, I think in the future, this event will have, we'll actually have to put some rules around, you know, this many types of sponsors for this category and things like that. So I would agree that we were just 
overwhelmed in a really amazing way and just totally humbled by the support from our sponsors. I think for sure any type of inaugural event that is exciting and new, I think is certainly attractive. Um, but again, I think we really tried to make sure that we were putting our best foot forward, that our materials looked professional, they were professionally printed. Um, we thought about the sponsorship levels and what each of those levels would, would you know, would actually get our sponsors. Um, but again, I mentioned that the length of time that um, our event was happening was 17 days, which means that at the mall, you know, we had um, the huge posters at the entrance of, I should say all five entrances to the mall. There were big sponsorship posters uh, by the houses. Each builder had their own sponsor um, uh, sign that was just kind of a thank you for building. So I think the amount of exposure that that our sponsors were able to get this year just by the sheer length of time that this event was happening um, is huge for any business. You know, I mean, unlike a, a you know, a, a one day or a few hour event where there might be some signage, then that goes away um, and that's it. So this really allowed our sponsors to be very, very visible for a very, very long time. And I think that that had some attractive qualities. I also think because I mentioned just sort of the shift in some ways of the way that we um, were approaching our builders, our sponsors, the media, just in kind of talking about the, the positives aspect of, of our program and what we do and how we're a huge benefit to the children in our community who need us most. And this is a way to support it. It also opened us up to new sponsors, especially in the building world and the home mm -hmm. world. And I think we've never had that connection before. And so having something tangible with actual little playhouses that again, the tagline home for good is perfect. It really allowed us to think creatively or strategically too, but just, well, who else do we know and who do we know in the building world, in the in the home renovation world, in the kitchen design world, you know, it can go on and on. Um, where it's like the perfect fit for them um, just because it's homes, homes for children, play homes, you know, I mean, it just, it all really kind of blended together. And I think that that was a huge aspect of success to open us up to just new conversations and a whole new um, audience really of, of businesses that we've never really been able to connect with previously. Yeah, I agree. I, I think all of those points are, um, kind of how it all, like why it all came together. So, um, so the last thing is kind of awareness and alignment. So you and I have talked about this, is mm -hmm. that um, one of the challenges with CASA is that um, there's not high awareness of the organization. Um, and also, uh, you know, there, we aren't able to, um, for good reason, uh, highlight success really. Um, so if something works out really well, it's usually starting from a difficult and confidential situation. Right. And so this fundraiser kind of um, allows us to do something um, great for us, which is increase awareness. Mm -hmm. um, and then I love the alignment of Home for Good being April being Childhood Child Abuse Awareness Month um, and, and all those things together and maybe just get some thoughts on that. I kind of stole some of your thunder there, but you know, I kind of was thinking, I've been thinking about this a lot as to why the success kind of came together. I do think you just mentioned um, April when we did this as Child Abuse Prevention Month. I think that that was a perfect time to, 
to, you know, for the malls, you know, to kind of allow us to be there and host our event. We were able to have some additional marketing and awareness materials at the mall, just in terms of our mission and who we are and um, our volunteers and just what we do for the court system and for children who've experienced abuse and neglect. Um, I think just like you said, you know, it's always difficult for um, nonprofits to, to sort of especially in an area like Richmond, where we have a lot to figure mm -hmm. out a way to um, make a splash, you know, and to get some attention. And so, um, I, you know, I think just the the mall, the, the length of time, I mean, I can probably, you know, I don't want to be repeating myself, but I think that, you know, that exposure for us, I think is going to help us with all the other aspects of our mission, which in some ways is the most important, right? As a nonprofit, is ultimately, you know, the fund is the funds are great, and it's it's really fun to raise a lot of money. But what is that money going toward? And so I think, um, you know, allowing us to have that exposure will help us um, with awareness. It will help us, you know, gain new board members, gain new volunteers, gain new donors, gain new just supporters and ambassadors and believers in what we do. Um, and that sort of butterfly effect, you know, that can then really, uh, you know, impact an entire community, I think is huge. And so we're definitely looking forward to seeing and really growing this and knowing that as we come out of the pandemic, um, we're pretty much concerned and sort of buckling up for what we think will be an increase in getting more cases and, uh, you know, which means more incidences of abuse and neglect for children. And so we need to be able to support them and we need to have the, you know, we need to have the infrastructure and that's in personnel as well to be able to support that. Um, so I think that this is an amazing start for us. And I think it was just, it's like everything aligned perfectly for us. Um, but I think we did it thoughtfully and strategically and sort of came to the table prepared. And that's probably a really important takeaway is, is especially launching a new event. If it's something that we have in mind to be uh, something that is sustaining and a signature event, the first year is going to be so important because if it's not successful, I don't know how you build on that going forward. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, it's it's just amazing because again my experience with the other events is just um all these factors put together um just created a tailwind for us mm -hmm. um and, and some of the other things that you mentioned that i think is critical is um as you take one and two steps back now you recognize um board recruitment is going to be easier because of this event and right. um, volunteer recruitment which is extremely important and has been difficult during covid right um I, we're we i don't think we got the full benefit of that this year because we couldn't say, hey, um, on one of these weekends, could we do a two hour activation? Right. Um, where we actually educate people about CASA. Right. And um, can potentially do something in that particular time frame um, to, to kind of, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me, mm -hmm. um, and these beautiful play homes. Right. Um, potentially do sponsor activation and things like that as well. Exactly. So I, like I see huge possibilities in the future um, for this. And I actually can see some competition for, you know, hey, we only have five slots or we only have seven slots or whatever we can do. Right. Um, and we'll probably have people that want it more than others. Right. <laughs> um, great opportunities for the future. Right. And I think too, Brian, you know, I didn't, we didn't, you know, talk about this per se, but you know, in in the nonprofit world, we all wear a lot of different hats and events are amazing, but they can take a lot of time. And so you really want to have 
an event that has a, a strong return on investment, but also considering what those opportunity costs are. Yes, um, yes. If we have staff members that are spending, you know, way too many hours and way too many staff members, you know, whether it's from the, you know, from a managerial level, you know, down, um, there's expenses that should be factored into that besides just the monetary expense of this is how much a sign costs or this is how much, you know, a thank you, you know, gift costs. Um, that's time as well. And those are costs to that. And so, um, you know, there was, again, some initial planning, of course, because this was an initial event, an inaugural event. Um, but the time really um, for us wasn't that much. And, and so much of it was done um, sort of externally, you know, the builders were building the, you know, the mall sort of told us where the, you know, the houses were going to go. Um, so our, you know, we had less than a thousand dollars in expenses um, for a pretty amazing, you know, the whole event and the return, you know, was crazy. So I think just, again, thinking of signature events um, for anyone who's listening, really thinking about what those opportunity costs are, um, you know, overall and considering that too, I think is, is, is important. Yeah, I mean, not many people say that. And, and I think there's a, for us, there's a fine balance of raising money and raising awareness. Right. Um, because volunteers are so critical to the organization. And if next year we can attribute 12 new volunteers to this event, um, that drastically increases our, our, our ROI. Even better. Exactly. Yeah. So this year, I don't think we're going to quite get that because we couldn't, you know, do some activation the way we wanted to, because we could we could send out an email to potential volunteers to come right. between 2 and 4 p.m. And, and it's this great warm feeling that you get. Um, and But that's coming next year for sure. So I think so. And I think that's what we're excited about is that in some ways, um, you know, we, we launched a very successful event uh, during COVID. And so now really the opportunities to me are endless to increase, like you said, awareness and little events during the course of time that we're um, on display for more awareness opportunities, more getting to just know who we are, our board members, our staff, volunteers, we could do some volunteer appreciation. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I really think that we'll be able to add in all those other components that, again, go to directly really the work that we do in our mission on an everyday basis. Um, so, yeah, that's an even better return and a greater return for, again, a very low cost at the end of the day, besides just the time that we want to do anyway in the community for general outreach. So we're, we're coming down to the close. I have three questions that you don't know about. Okay. They're called the teardown because no one likes to um, clean up at events. Okay. Um, so the first one I would say is probably the hardest question, but people have given the best answers. Mm -hmm. um, so best piece of advice you've received in regards to events. That is a hard one. Um, I think I would say don't take no for an answer. Ooh. Um, so I, you know, I, I like to, you know, I love to build relationships and I love to figure out ways to make something successful and I'm driven to do that. And when I, you know, I think that there's a good idea and I think that there's a lot of potential, I'm pretty much going to try to figure out a way to make that happen. Um, and so I think, as I shared with you, when you asked the question of lead time, um, that was probably some of the. Um, more difficult work that was done was to really find the right people to talk to, sell our mission, sell who we are to then get connected to the next person, to then get connected to the next person um, so we could really make this happen. And 
you know, there were a few bumps along the way, but um, I wasn't going to let that stop us. And then we had a pandemic um, that was a big deal. And so I just was going to sort of push through. And even when things got hard, I just said, I'm not taking no, and I'm not going to just back down and not do it and just kind of hang my head like, well, we tried. Um, so that's probably a piece of advice of, you know, if you've got a great idea, your gut's probably right. Um, and so really try to figure it out. I like that. We hadn't had that one yet. Oh, good. <laughs> so this one's more fun. These are way more, the next two are way easier. Um, funniest thing you've seen in an event. Funniest thing I've seen at an event. Oh gosh. Um, that's a hard one. Um, well, well, I'll, give, I would, I'll give you a hint. Yes. Okay, lots of people have answered costumes. Well, it's funny because what I was gonna say was related probably back to the superhero run that we did um, where we would just have these amazing costumes and, and whether it's from the kids to families to the oh, yeah. adults come and it was so cute. And I just think that, I mean, I don't even know if the term is funny, but fun probably just, it makes you smile and you laugh when you see these, you know, kids and adults, you know, when they were just running just with this, like determination on their face at dressed as a superhero. Um, it just was so fun and funny and just seeing, you know, what folks came up with, whether it was, you know, augmenting, uh, you know, costume that they bought at Target or creating their own, you know, from scratch. Um, I thought that was just so fun. So I think costumes probably would also be a, a really good answer. So now that we're hopefully um, making progress coming out of the pandemic and in-person events are coming back, I ask everybody, what is your favorite event? It can be a concert, it can be a festival, it can be a run, it can be a walk. I mean, whatever, what are you looking forward to attending again? Oh, gosh, um, you know, all of those are, you know, all sound wonderful to me just because we've been sort of cooped up inside too long. So I would probably say anything that is going to be outside um, in some ways of just really being, you know, out in the community. So whether that's, um, I, I mean, I love, live music. Um, that is something that is just enjoyable to me. And of course, that could be an inside venue. Um, but I think getting back to some music, getting back to some, um, you know, really good uh, meals and restaurants, you know, out, um, I think that's what I'm most looking forward to just when things start to open back up from an event perspective. Well, that's everything we have today. I really want to thank you for sharing everything about Home for Good. We'll include um, a link and some pictures and things like that um, in the YouTube, as well as the link in the podcast description. Um, I highly encourage people to, to take a look at these. I think you'll be impressed. Well, thank you, Brian, for having me and letting me sort of share our story and our successes and just where we intend to go from here. So I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.